Welcome to That Mom Life. I'm Sarah Jordan. And today I am jo- joined by one of my friends, Naomi Duncan. Now, I've actually known of Naomi for a very long time. Her and I grew up going to school together. I graduated with her brother. So I love these small world connections. And then we met again in our adult lives because one of my good friends is your sister-in-law. So, I mean, like, once again, the web we weave with one another, especially when we're from this area. <laughs> Yeah, totally. It's like it's like the smallest small town, and it's and when we growing up here because being part of a military family, we moved around a lot. But then once we settled here, it was like everybody knows everybody. And now that we've been here for you know twenty, how many years? Like I'm starting to get used to it. <laughs> I okay already. I feel like I've I've known your family ish. I was friends with Luke for a while in high school, obviously. So do you you are a military family. Yeah. So my dad was in the military until I was, he got out like, right. Like when I was really little and then he changed, um, he was a pilot in the military. So then he changed, he like got into commercial airline and then he got, he got hired by UPS. So we've slowly worked our way around the country and then ended up in the Louisville area because of the hub here. So do you remember living anywhere else other than this area? <laughs> I remember um, living in Arizona because I sat on a cactus when I was uh- like, Four. Um, <laughs> and that's like one of the only things I remember about being in Arizona. Um, and then when we lived up near Indy, I remember that. Um, cause that was, that was back in like the, the 90, like I was probably like six or seven. So I was like old enough to remember stuff. And that was when UPS went through some furlough stuff. And I remember dad got like late furloughed or I don't even know what they call it, but, um, he worked at a grocery store for a little bit. And so really I only remember Arizona and Indiana, but we were lived in Oklahoma, two different times, California, Arizona, two different places. And then my one brother was actually born in, um, England overseas while they were stationed over there for a little bit. So was that your oldest brother? No, it was actually Jared. So Bill was born in, oh crap, Oklahoma. And then Luke was Nebraska. Jared was England. I was Nebraska a second time. And then two different places in Arizona. They had Tim and the twins. Okay. So now let's add up. How many siblings do you have? I am the middle of seven kids and um, there's four boys and three girls and the youngest are twins. And now that I'm a mom, I asked my mom, like, when you had five kids and found out you were pregnant, did you just like ball your eyes out when you found out there were two? And she says she they didn't even know that they that they were having twins until like a thirty, like a thirty week ultrasound because I was like back in the day and she was considered like high risk because she was older. And they were like, oh, here's baby A and baby B. And I think if that was me, I probably would have like lost my mind. She was like, at that point, you know, let's just what's one more. <laughs> so, um, yeah, there's a lot of us seven kids you don't now like my dad was one of eight kids and that was more common when he was growing up i mean growing up were you the largest family that you knew yes well we knew of one other family um not in this area but they had um they had like 12 kids like they had a dozen like legit dozen kids um that's you but that's that's the only other people that i knew of but in this area oh yeah it was like and we had like the 12 passenger van. So we'd be like pulling up to places and it's like, Oh, here comes the homeschool. Like everybody thought we were homeschooled and you know, <laughs> we, were like a, we were like a church group or something. And we're like, no, it's just our family. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're the biggest family that I knew of um, in this area. What was it like growing up around seven kids? I realize that is a very loaded question because it can go in a lot of different ways. But I mean, yeah. again, that's a very unique experience. I mean, yeah. like you said, people thought you were you were your own youth group pulling up. It was your family. Oh, man, Sarah. It was. Okay. So it, when I was younger, I hated it. I literally remember wishing that I was an only child because it was just like chaos all the time, but not like not chaos in the sense that um, like my parents didn't have their lives together. It was just chaos in the fact that I had four brothers and twin little sisters. Like it just felt like crazy all the time. And I think being the middle child, I guess I like, you know, I was like, I needed to like get attention because you know, I wasn't the oldest. I wasn't the youngest. I wasn't a twin, but I wasn't a boy. I was like the only like odd girl out. Um, And so there would be times where I'd be like, I wish like I would sit there and be like, you know, I wish I was an only child because my brothers would be driving nuts. But then like, as I started to get older, I started to appreciate it more because like holidays and birthdays are just so fun because it's just like, 
it's, it is chaos, but it's beautiful chaos, you know? Um, and so there's like, there's going to be a ton of kids in this family now that we're all starting to have children ourselves. It's like, you know, slowly compounding. Um, so it was, it was hard growing up because I, 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 I don't know. I guess it's like the middle child thing. But as I got older, I I enjoyed it more. And now I'm really grateful for it. Um, it. It was one of those things that I liked having because it was kind of like a fun fact that like people would remember They're like, oh, that girl has the one who has a bunch of brothers and sisters. Like that was always my like, tell us something about yourselves. And I would say, I'm the middle of seven kids. And the kids in the class would just be like, what you know everybody other people would say i'd have a dog i have a cat and i would joke about how we don't have any pets but there's there's seven children at our house you know really um really smart and cunning you know grade school naomi um so yeah it was it was definitely an experience so you never were having alone time in peace and quiet is not something that existed in your house Oh no, no. Like I don't, I don't know. And even as an adult, I, it's hard for me. Like I've learned to enjoy that now that like once I got the uh, like ability to do that, like in college when I moved out, but it's still hard for me. And I like, I like stuff. I like where there's people like doing things or it's, it's hard for me to just sit in a totally quiet, like, no, no noise, no people going on. It's hard for me. I'm like, I need to call somebody or I need to have somebody come over or I need to go somewhere. Um, so yeah, peace and quiet was never part of the equation. You know what I, so I'm, I'm only one of three kids, but, um, growing up, we always had other family members that lived with us at different periods. So at some points there was, um, 12 people just living in our house. And that happened periodically a lot throughout my childhood. And I tell people now that silence to me means something bad because when I grew up with a big house, even though they weren't all siblings, silence meant everyone was gone. Something was wrong. And now that I'm in radio, like silence means something's wrong with radio station. Like I agree with you. Even now I have an issue with like peace, like super quiet times. And my husband always laughs at me. Who's the only child. And he's like, every time you get in the car, you have to get on the phone. And I never correlated it back to maybe I'm just not comfortable in silence. No, I totally get that. I was literally thinking that last night because I was on my way home from um, a shoot and I like called, like I, I called three different people. The first to didn't answer and the third one I was like well I guess I'm gonna have to like turn on some music or something because I can't just be here by myself and then I thought oh man this is this is this is me and I'm, I'm a seven on the Enneagram and so I'm like maybe I'm like maybe this is me but maybe this also comes from you know never having like silence growing up and just not being comfortable to sit in it <laughs> you know the thing that I have found that gets my attention a little bit more if I listen to podcasts I mean clearly we're recording a podcast and though this is not a plug for that but when I'm listening to that it's more conversational for me so it triggers my brain in a different way than just music does. So that has helped me a lot. But I mean, when, when I talk to people, I mean, again, growing up, it wasn't that my fun fact was I have a ton of siblings. It was just that if you came over to our house, I had to explain, okay, this person seems like my grandpa, but he's technically my second cousin, but he lives with us. We take care of him. And then this is my aunt and uncle and that's their kids. Like it just turned into a thing. And now of course I live in a multi-generational home and I have nine people in my house again. So I'm just recreating my childhood all over again. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's so funny because especially because so the age range of the siblings is 12 years from the oldest to the youngest. And so like when the older boys started like bringing girls over and stuff, it was like, we were all like, ooh, new person. You know, we're just living our normal lives. But I think it probably like scared a lot of them. And like, so as we got old, like as we, as they like learned, they, they would like strategically introduce like portions of the family at a time and like make sure that like a couple people were out doing their thing. So that way it wasn't like the entire family at one time. Because people who grew up in a family of like one or two siblings, like it's a lot to walk into a house where there's nine people just like doing all doing their different things. Um, and it's really funny because all of us have married into families where our spouses have their only child or they've got like one or two siblings, two siblings max, which I think is funny because it's like the total opposite. Like none of us have married anybody with big families either, which I think is funny. You know what? Again, same thing here. My husband's family is super small. He's an only child. His mom's an only child. And he got into a very much larger family. And it's funny how that always works out. I mean, I'm... It's funny because I remember going over to your house once. Actually, you probably don't even remember this. Um, was it like a graduation party? 
Was it what? Was it Luke's graduation party? No, it was before that. I want to say it was his birthday and I like brought him for a cake. I don't know. I just remember coming over there. Um, <laughs> and then that's when I became, I started to realize and started counting the siblings. And obviously this was before social media where I could just obviously look up a family picture and see, right. oh, there's a lot of kids in that house. So I mean, did you guys grow up? Were you ever all playing together or was kind of like these couple play over here and these couple play over here? Yeah, it was, it was definitely like these couple play here and these couple play here, especially because the age range is pretty wide. So like, like Phil and Luke are the oldest. And so they would, they would probably be like out doing something or playing video games. And then like the younger two boys would kind of stick together. And then the twins, they would be doing their own thing. And um, certain days, like on like being off of school or holidays or something, sometimes we would like all be playing outside or we would all be um, like, we would all go up to the tennis courts and play tennis. But like, even then, like the boy, the older boys would play tennis and the twins would like run around and act like puppy dogs. Like, you know, so it's like, this is a very, very wide range of, um, entertainment things happening yeah there wasn't a whole lot of like let's sit down and like all hang out together maybe like four or five of us if we played a board game like as we got older um but all seven of us doing the same thing at the same time was pretty much usually like eating food um and even then that was kind of few and far between so when do you feel like you truly discovered your identity? Cause I know you said being the middle child and just, you're right. Finding attention, finding alone time. Do you think it was college when you've really started to come into your own? I really do feel like it was college because I also, you know, like was in my own, like the first time in my life I was in my own space, only sharing an apartment with, or a dorm with like one or three other girls. And so that to me was like, whoa, there's like, so I have so much freedom here and so much, you know, like this is my own space and my own bathroom. Cause for my entire, you know, nine, 18 years up to that point, I had shared a bathroom with four other people. Um, and or what four others of us upstairs, but then we all shared the shower because the, 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 like the room where we would brush our teeth and get ready that we'd shared, like only had like a tub. So, um, yeah, it was, it was like a whole new world. And it was like, it, it allowed me the space to kind of become my own person. Um, and I realized that I just expand into whatever space I'm given. Like, I don't know what scientific um, term that is. I'd have to ask one of my super smart brothers, but like I, Naomi and her like belongings and her life expands to fill whatever space she is given. And so at our house, I had like a little tiny room, but then I got, you know, to my apartment, it's like I had a bathroom and my room. And now that we have like, you know, we're growing up and I have a house, it's like, man, Naomi fills up the whole house with all of, all of her, all of the things. And so I think it's funny looking back because I had such a small corner of the world growing up, just sharing with that many people that now like any space I do have, I'm like, this is beautiful. This is mine. I'm just going to leave this here and leave this here and grasp my husband nuts. But you know what? I am who I am. So I remember there was one time that, um, you and I happened to be down at the children's hospital meeting your sister-in-law slash one of my closest friends. Cause we were helping her out with something yeah. and you gave me a ride back to the radio station and you were like, please don't judge my car. I just, I kind of, this is my space and this is what I do with my space. And it's just me. And I was like, whatever. <laughs> um, I, I drove for so long. Um, I commuted really far. So I feel like I lived in my car for just like, years. And so like I had an extra pair of shoes and an extra pair of clothes and just like probably snacks that I'd picked up on the way to and from wherever I was going. So yeah, that's, that's very, the very on brand for Naomi. <laughs> so what did you go to school for? Um, so I went to U of L and I got a bachelor's degree in dental hygiene. So did you actually, you were, you were a dental hygienist. Yeah. I practiced for five years. Yeah. After college, I graduated and practiced for five years. Um, now when did you meet Corey, your husband? Oh, Sarah, I met Corey when I was, okay. I gotta do some math. I think I was 14. I was a friend of Floyd Central. I met him when I was 14. Now we did not start. We we were not a couple. We did not start dating then. I just met him for the first time when I was 14. When did you guys start dating? Not until my senior year of high school. So that would have been four years later. So I was, I was 17 going on 18 when we started dating. So how did you guys, okay. So you guys met originally when you were a freshman, what triggered you guys to start dating then four years later? Oh, Sarah, um, <laughs> this is like such, man, this is like a walk down memory lane. So, I know that's what it's supposed to be. <laughs> one of my best friend, um, she was in marching band with Corey and she was like in marching band that like 
you know, they make like lines that move. And so she was right next to Corey when he had this like step out solo thing. And so I would always go to like the football games to watch my friends and the marching band. And then she was like, she, she was the first one who physically like introduced us. I was like, this is Corey. He has, he has the solo in the marching band show. And I was like, hi, Corey. Like I nailed, you know, a super obnoxious freshman that just, you know, loves people and like didn't understand the hierarchy of like social class at the time. <laughs> um, and so that's when we first met. But then we started dating. I mean, we because we became friends over those four years, um, just like through so many different through marching band, through him being an orchestra, me being orchestra. Um, but as a senior, I remember, I remember being like. I knew I liked him and he wouldn't, and I knew he liked me, but he wouldn't, he wouldn't do anything about it. And so I was like, I'm so mature, Corey. Like I know I'm mature. And you know, as a high school or senior high in high school, you think, you know how big the world is and you have no clue. Um, so he was in college at this point and he was really afraid because he didn't want to ruin our friendship by trying to date and like that going South. And um, so it was very much like I had to, drop some like really obvious hints to get any kind of conversation started. Um, so one time I pretended I was texting my friend, um, the one that introduced us. And I said, I think he likes me. I just don't know what to do. And I sent it to him on quote unquote accident so that he would like, because he, he had always been the one that was chased by the girls and always, you know, was the girl had kind of come after him. And I was not about that. I was like, no, he's got to come after me. Um, and so that text message is what kind of propelled us into being more than friends because he was just, he was just scared because he didn't want people to think that he was like a creepy older guy, you know, dating a high schooler. And, you know, and, and once I got to college and I saw people who had high school, like girlfriends or boyfriends, I'm like, oh, I get, I get why that was like a thing because you just have no clue. You know, when you, in high school, in high school, Floyd Central was my world. Floyd's knobs was my world. That was the extent of the world where he was in college and had, you know, met a lot of different people and like, you know, just expanded his like day to day world and was learning how big the world really was. And so that's when we started to actually date. So we dated all through my senior year of high school. Um, and then my, oh, my mom, she always, she, she always, she always brings up the fact that Corey went to, um, five proms and he might, he might, he might be embarrassed that I'm telling this on here, but it's fine because he did. So he went to prom, you know, all of his years of high school, but then he continued to go after because he was dating somebody younger. And so my mom was like, you can date him. That's fine. But just, he's not allowed to go to another prom because that poor kid has already been to three and he ended up going to prom with me twice. And so that's like something that they share a bond over because, you know, all the pre- prom pictures where everybody meets at the school by the limo to take pictures or at Mount St. Francis. And, um, my mom, she's just like, I'm so sorry. And they have like this bonding moment over the fact that he went to prom, you know, that many times. So he's a professional at proms then. Yes, he is because he could, he went up until, cause you couldn't go to prom at Floyd Central until you're 21. And so that was the year he turned 21. So that was the last year he could go. Um, and it's funny cause I think at that point, like all the teachers like knew because he had just been, you know, he himself had been to high school for four years and then, you know, with me being there, it was just, it, he's a professional prom goer. Yeah. He's professional. <laughs> so you guys have been together then for what, 10 years? Oh, geez. Yeah. I graduated in 2010. So we would have started dating in 2009. Yeah. So 10 years. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. You know, I mean, do are you guys considered high school sweethearts because he was out of high school? See, I see. I don't see it that way because he was out of high school. And when he was in high school, he had another girlfriend that I would have considered them like, cause they were kind of more, they were closer in age. And so it's like, he's my high school sweetheart, but not really the other way around, if that makes sense. So yes. It's not like um like like Bethany and Dustin like they legitimately like grew up together. Yes, is like so I don't see it that way. Um, so yeah, how much fun? So you guys all or you two have been together since your senior year of high school. You guys went to college. At what point did you guys get engaged? So we got engaged. Um, oh, it, we had like a we had like a fourteen month engagement. So I guess that would have been like in. 2000 and, uh, 2013. Um, so I was a junior in college finishing up my junior year of dental hygiene and he was, he, so he, he did college in five, like 
so maybe I think six years because he started working full time partway through college because they were going to pay for his schooling. So he switched from being a full time student to being a part time student, a full time worker. Um, so we actually finished college the same year, which was really funny. Um, it just took him a little bit longer, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> because he got school that got paid for. Um, so we got engaged in 2013. Um, and then that was the year before we graduated. And that's what, cause when he went to talk to my, my dad, he was, you know, that was one thing that they were, they were totally for it. They just really wanted me to graduate both of us to graduate first before we went and got married because know what they know about planning a wedding and graduating college and, you know, becoming an adult. It's really, I'm really glad that we did because if we had tried to get married when I was in dental hygiene school, I mean, it's too much. It's too much. You take board exams, you're doing live clinical things. It's no way super stressful. Get trying to get licensed and everything like that. So, so were you 23 ish when you got married? I was 20. Well, I, I was 21 and we got married in July. I was 21. And I turned 22 in November. I love that. You know, I feel like, again, you probably looking back now at other 21 year olds, you're like, I can't, I, I can't believe I got married then. Yes. But like in the moment I got married, I got engaged at 22, married at 23. And all of, as you know, all of my friends roughly got married around that same age too. But then there's a lot of other people I know that never got married until they're like mid thirties. And it's just funny how things work out. And I don't, you obviously can't plan them out and foresee the future, but looking back or meeting people that were your age when you got pregnant or got married or got pregnant, it's like, Whoa, I was young. (laughs) Oh my goodness. And so now like being a wedding photographer, when I meet with couples and they, there's this one couple in particular, because they reminded me like so much of my younger brother and now sister-in-law and they were like, they were 19 when they met with me and now they booked me a year in advance. But I remember thinking like, Holy cow, like they're babies, but like they didn't seem like it. Like, you know, like it was like they were young, but like I knew they were going to be really good together. And so it's just so interesting to look back at people at the age that we were doing these big life things. And I'm like, Holy cow. Like, I don't know how, you know, 21, 22 year old Naomi like knew that she was making good decisions, but she did. She made good choices. So, yeah. I'm so excited for you two. You two are such a wonderful couple. And again, I I know your sister-in-law. And so you and I are around each other. You've taken some of my family pictures before. So this leads me down my next path. So you guys got married and then you got pregnant with Carter and then you didn't end up coming back from maternity leave. Is that right? That is correct. Yes, that was. So I was a practicing dental hygienist. We found out we were expecting Carter. Um, I knew that I wanted to take more than six weeks off because I just knew that I was not going to be, I just, I didn't want to, I wanted to take more time. So I had talked to my boss and told her I was going to take 12 weeks off. And, and because I worked for like a small like, um, like small business, like it, you don't get all of like the FMLA or any of like the, like, like, um, those kind of like things. Um, and the dental world is just kind of really different in like the, the, like the way that the way that it works. So like, they didn't have to give me my job. They didn't have to give me 12 weeks, but they did. Um, but, and then I was only going to go back to work two days a week. That that's why I got into dental hygiene because I didn't want to go into something like nursing where you had to work 12, 14 hours, but I wanted to be able to like choose my schedule. And in the dental world, like four days a week is pretty much full time. You just work a little bit longer days. Um, and so that's why I got into dental hygiene. I was like, this would be great because I want to have kids. I can just like work a couple days. It'll be awesome. Um, but when Carter was born, I was not one of those moms that like gracefully slid into motherhood. Um, I like to, it's, it's more of like I stumbled and like crawled and rolled until I found my footing. Um, and Carter just had a lot of, um, I had, he had a lot of issues eating and gaining weight and nursing and just a lot of like medical stuff, nothing catastrophic, but just a lot for a new mom. I mean, we were at three or four appointments a week going to craniosacral therapy and chiropractor appointments and speech therapy to get his latch better. And he had a, a tongue revision done. Like he had a tongue tie and that's why they thought he wasn't eating and gaining weight. And it was just a lot. And so I think it was probably like eight or nine weeks after he was born and I called my boss and I was like, I, I, cause I sat down with Corey. I was like, Corey, I can, he saw me struggling and I, I struggled with postpartum depression for probably like six to eight months before I realized I needed help. Even though at that point, like he could see it because he was, you know, with me the most out of anybody. And so 
he basically, I was like, I was like, Corey, I have 30 weddings on the books. I have X number of sessions. I am sucking at this mom thing. Like Carter is failure to thrive. Like I can't even like feed my kid enough to like keep him healthy. And I was like, there's like, I can't do this. I'm going to be a, I'm going to get fired because I'm so exhausted. If I'm cleaning someone's teeth, I'm probably going to fall asleep and jab their gums with one of the sharp instruments. I'm going to get fired. I'm going to get sued. And so he was basically like in that moment, he knew that I needed to take care of me and Carter before anything else. And the dental job at that point was like, the first thing on the chopping block because I loved, I had built up my business. I loved doing weddings. I loved my couples and what to me, dropping dental hygiene was easier than telling a couple like, Hey, I'm not going to shoot your wedding because I still really enjoyed it. And not that I didn't enjoy dental hygiene, but it was a 40 minute drive across the river every day and back, you know, with, with traffic. I mean, I was driving over to Middletown. Um, so with traffic and ended up being closer to like an hour. And so, um, after Carter was like eight or nine weeks old, I call, I remember, I, I remember, this is like one of those moments in my life where like, I, I can viscerally remember it. Like I can still feel it and I can still hear it. And I sat it in our kitchen and Carter was asleep for like, you know, a total of five minutes because he didn't sleep long because he didn't eat enough. And so he was always hungry. Anyways, I called my boss and I was like, I had a script written out because I, I knew I was going to cry because I was just an emotional mess. And I thought she was going to hate me because I told her I was coming back. And now I was like, kind of leaving her high and dry. And I felt terrible. And I like, and she said, she said, Naomi, when you asked for 12 weeks off, I just, something in my soul, I just knew you weren't coming back. And I was like, I know. And she didn't hate me. And so it was one of those things. Like, I just hate disappointing people and making people feel like, you know, I've put them in a bind or anything like that. But in that moment of life, like that was the easiest person to disappoint in, instead of the other people. So, um, so I did not go back after my maternity leave and I jumped full time into being a wedding photographer at that point. So at that point, how long had you been doing photography part-time? I had been doing it part-time for, uh, going on a year and a half. So um, I, I, I like to say I had two full-time jobs because leading up to, um, when I was pregnant with Carter, I worked, you know, I worked full-time as a dental hygienist, but then I also had 12 weddings and, you know, hundreds of sessions on the side on the nights and weekends. Um, so there, uh, there was a season where I just was, if I wasn't at, if I wasn't cleaning teeth over at my office job, I was out shooting sessions. I was out shooting weddings. Um, the only day that I would take off would be Sundays. Um, and even then I'd schedule sessions on Sunday nights because, it, you know, especially once it gets darker later in the year that, you know, I, it would get dark before I'd leave the office. Um, so I had been doing it about a year and a half for like actual people. Now, my sister-in-law, your friend, has she is single-handedly responsible, I feel like, for starting my business because she was always like, take our take our engagement pictures, take our maternity pictures, take pictures of my newborn, take pictures of my six-month-old. And so I like got practice with her. And um, I basically, that's kind of how I got into doing photography for other people because people would see her pictures and ask who did them. And I, I would turn people down. Like I remember she'd be like, so-and-so asked me who did my pictures. And I told her and I said, Celia, I can't, like, I'm not good enough. I'm not going to take people's money for this. Like there's no way. Um, so that's kind of how that happened. I can't believe, I mean, I've watched you grow your business so far. And I mean, you really took a leap. And I mean, obviously you're very talented and you were able to do so. But I mean, did you think that you would be where you are today when you decided to not go back to being a dental hygienist and be a full-time photographer? Um, no, a hundred percent not because I was at that point was just praying that I would be able to make as, as much money because dental hygiene is a very good paying job. And so when I run into people in the dental world that know that I've stepped away or that, that I tell them, they look so confused. They're like, why would you, why would you do that in order to be a photographer? Um, but the thing is you can make a very good, a living doing anything in my opinion as long as you as long as you invest in yourself you invest in your business and you have really good customer service and so um i at that point i was just so relieved that i only had in my head i only had three jobs i had i had you know taking care of carter um, taking care of myself and then take like being a photographer. And that seemed more manageable to me 
Um, and so I just was hoping and praying that I would be able to continue to grow and make more money than I was as a dental hygienist, um, because of what I had on the books, it was projected to be that way. But, you know, with, with things like photography, it's not necessarily guaranteed until you have those, those, um, like bookings on your calendar. Um, so it was definitely like, like I, I never thought I'd be able to go full time as a photographer, but when I took the leap, I wasn't probably close enough to the dock because it was hard, but it was just different little sacrifices that were made in that kind of season of growth and season of transition. You know, we didn't go on a bunch of big family vacations and big, um, like trips and things like that, just because we were trying to get our footing now that we were, you know, Corey has a really great job. Um, which is awesome and we're thankful for, but you know, the life of an entrepreneur is very, um, very unknown and it was definitely a leap, but I, looking back, I, I am glad that I, I'm glad that I did it when I did, because I had that push, like it there, it was sink or swim. Like it, it, it forced me that I had to be able to provide and contribute the way that I needed to. Um, uh, but I got to do what I loved in the process, which made it easier. When did you find photography? Like, I just remember you popping up and you were a photographer, but when did you find that as a passion for you? And obviously to even start as a business and taking on weddings. I mean, weddings is harder than anything. And the, certainly the most time consuming as a photographer. How did you end up there? So I, okay, we're, we're taking it back to Floyd Central Day. So, oh, wow. Junior prom at Floyd Central. Okay. First of all, I have to say, I never win anything ever in my life. This is the one and only thing I've ever won. Um, I want an after prom. I want a laptop. I want a Toshiba laptop at the ripe old age of 17. And in our family, historically, like the laptop was the graduation gift that mom and dad would like help purchase so that you could go to college and be successful and like do your homework and not have to go to the library all the time. Like that was just like what they did for Phil, Luke, Jared. And so I knew I was getting a laptop for graduation. So when I came home with this laptop at after prom, I was like, oh, this is awesome because I already have a laptop. Now maybe I'll get to like pick a graduation present. And so sure enough, you know, and I'm very much a daddy's girl. So when it came around, I was like, can I pick my own graduation present? And my dad's like, okay, sweetie. Like, yeah, like this is your budget. You know, we're very budget oriented family. Like, this is your budget, um, but you can pick. And so I was like, you know what? I think I want to get one of those fancy cameras. And so I, I, it was, I'm pretty sure we got it at Office Depot because my dad is like, he's all about like the places that give you the points. And I think Office Depot has points or whatever. And so <laughs> Office Depot down State Street, um, we got like the DSLR camera that had like the kit lens and um, I was pumped. And so because I had won this laptop at, at, um, at um, prom in like the spring, like in May, I convinced them to give me a graduation present that summer because I was going into my senior year and like, we can go ahead and start celebrating now. So I got that camera that summer and I just started taking it with me places because I was always that obnoxious kid with a camera. Like I remember field trips at like Galena days, I would go get the disposable cameras and like go get them developed and like take them on the field trip buses. And you know, 20 out of the 23 pictures would be terrible, but like one of them would be pretty good. And I always took pictures of people. And so it wasn't ever like me taking pictures of like a flower or like a dog or anything like that. It was always pictures of the people. And so I took that camera that I got that summer and I took it to football games and I took it to graduation parties and I just started taking pictures of people. And so that's where I first got my hands on it. And it's so funny looking back because I took like those pictures of myself in the mirror, taking a picture, like you could see me oh, yeah. taking the picture. Um, that was like my first MySpace profile picture. <laughs> um, but that was where I really just kind of started like like I, that's where I got my camera. And then my sister-in-law, you know, she was like, Hey, you know, you've got that fancy camera. You should bring it on vacation and we'll take engagement pictures. So I did. And I was like, Hey, the, at the time I thought they were so good. <laughs> I was like, wow, I'm really good at this. And so that's kind of how I got started. That's how I got my first camera. And that's, it was just one of the fancier cameras. And at the time, like that was what, like 2000 and that was like 2009. So like, it was pretty like high fancy technology. It wasn't just one of the point and shoot or like the little like power shot ones like that you saw on the tennis commercials. Like it was like one that had lenses. Um, so that's where I got started with my first camera. So you started, you had your baby and I'm so glad you're open about with postpartum. Oh, yes. And we need to, I'm like, 
Oh, I just, I wish somebody would have told me, I think one of the, you know, I'm going to share this because I wish somebody told me this. So the closest experience I had with other people having babies was my sister-in-law. Cause we, you know, we lived near each other. She was having kids already. Um, I have obviously other sister-in-laws, but we just didn't live close to them when they had babies and infants. And, um, people would always talk about like when the baby gets laid on your chest, that it's like the angels start singing and the heavens open. And it's like a love you've never known before. So all the, and this is, this is where like, when I look back, that's where I see like where my experience was just like a little bit different because I did not feel that way. They put this baby on my chest and I was like, what the heck just happened? Who is this thing? Like, what did anybody else just see that? It was not an angelic heavens opening moment. And I didn't realize that other people felt that way also because Celia had always felt. And I think, I think it's like one of those things, like it, not everybody feels the same way. Um, and when I started talking with my midwife and kind of working through some of the depression stuff, she, she was like, you know, some people when they meet their baby, they have to get to know their baby and that's okay. Like this is a new person that you've just met for the first time. Yes. They've been inside you for nine months, but this is the first time you laid eyes on them. And it's okay that you didn't have this like overwhelming, like I've never known my life before you, because I could remember my life before, before I had a baby, I could sleep when I wanted to. And before I had a baby, I could take naps when I wanted to. And I could, you know, eat when I wanted to and shower when I wanted to. And I remember, I, I could remember that. And so that was a very like interesting thing that I learned, um, that I really wish somebody had told me like going into having my first baby. You know, I, <laughs> All you hear about is like you get pregnant and then you get to have the celebration of announcing that you're pregnant and then finding out what you're having. And then you've got the baby showers and the cute little bump pictures. Mm -hmm. And it's just that pretty picture. And until you are pregnant and you realize, oh my God, this is really hard. What is my body doing? Is that normal? (laughs) Um, And then you have the baby. Because I remember when I had my son, I had this moment in the hospital. I was so exhausted. Everyone finally left. Cause of course I invited everybody and their mom to come see me at that point after not be, after not sleeping for over 30 hours straight. Right. And as the first time I was alone by myself, I started sobbing. Cause I was like, wait a second, they're sending me home with the baby and I don't know how to take care of a baby. Yeah. And, and so what do I do? And I remember getting so overwhelmed because I was also thinking like, this is forever. And people tell you you like people tell you that your life will change. And I guess that's really not something you can comprehend until you're living the fact that nothing you do will ever be the same again. Right. And it is hard. And I mean, I'm now have a almost one year old in about a month. Yeah. And she's and she's a difficult baby. I mean, in during the day, she's great, but she's not a great sleeper. And I mean, it took me at one point last night, almost three hours to get her to go back to sleep. Every time I laid her down, she'd wake back up again. Yeah. And I mean, it results in me sitting in my other daughter's bedroom, like s- staying upstairs, like sobbing. I, at one point this week, that was my life in the middle of the night. I was like hiding from my baby who I was trying to let cried out. So I was crying, which woke up my other child. And I was like, oh my God, this is a disaster. <laughs> Yes. Oh, <laughs> I mean, they just, there are so many like hard, like such hard moments. And being a parent is absolutely amazing. It is so incredible. So I, not a day goes by that I don't look at my kids and I'm in awe of the fact that I grew them. They are mine. Yes. yes. But at the same time, it is the hardest job I've ever had in my life because there is no, this is right. This is wrong. You do this. You do that. Right. Right. And even kid to kid in the same family. Like, that's what, like, that's what I'm learning. Even, even we don't, we don't, I'm pregnant with the second now, but I can like already tell I'm like, man, what works for Carter might not work for this kid. Like, and you know, what works for Carter one day doesn't always work for Carter the next day. And so, no, that's so true. And that's like, I think it was probably like, that was my like experience with postpartum depression. It was not a, I want to hurt myself or hurt my baby type depression. It was a not having a bond. And so I was very apathetic and like, I just suck at this and I don't even want to be around him. And so it was more, it, it was probably about 10 months and and that's when I was like, okay, like this, this is actually really cool. Like at that point he was eating, he was gaining more weight. Like when I talk about gaining weight, like we were so excited. He was like in the one percentile of his weight on the chart. Like we go to the pediatrician and we're like, fingers crossed. Come on. Like, buddy, did you gain some weight? Did you gain some weight? Um, and so he was eating better at that point. Like he was eating solid food or more solid foods, like not solid, solid, but you know, like the puree stuff. And um, it was like, wow, like 
this is actually really cool. This, you know, and that's like when I feel like it was like, oh yeah, like I'm starting to see like the like the parts about being a mom that people talk about when you're just like in awe of your kid and just like so like happy that like you made that and like that, that like then that's when I was like, oh yeah, I do remember life without him before, but it's a little bit fuzzier now. Like, like so yeah, that was kind of my experience with that. Again, I'm so glad that there are more and more women you included that speak up about postpartum. And then, and also just speaking up about sometimes when it's just freaking hard and not all the moments are rainbows and everything else like that. And you're right. Sometimes I go, remember when we used to just travel on a whim? Remember when we just used to get in the car? Remember when we could just sleep? <laughs> I mean, because I, I'm terrible with like, I am, I do not function well without sleep. Now, Corey, my husband, he could like get four out. Like, I think he might be like part, like, vampire or whatever because like he can get four hours of sleep and like function as human um i need like a good seven hours to be functional so that's why the newborn stage was so hard for us because i was the one having to function but i couldn't because i was the one you know losing all my husband and i literally had this talk last night in the middle of the night when we were trying to deal with baby he doesn't he doesn't hear her crying in the middle of the night the way i do and i'm still breastfeeding so it's like i'm always the one that goes to her well then when i get her to the okay you're just gonna have to cry it out for a little while and wear your out phase that's when he hears the change of cries and he comes and finds both of us crying um <laughs> and he stayed up and i'm like i can function on five hours of sleep i don't like it but i i'm very capable of it because i haven't slept through an entire night in about a year now yeah and he takes about seven hours otherwise he just doesn't function as well yeah. and so everyone's just so different and um it's it. That's why it's a true partnership. <laughs> trying, trying to get through the journey. Um, so you are expecting your second little boy. When are you due? Yes, we are due um, the first week of February. Well, I guess it's February the ninth. Okay, so you're you don't have that much time left. You're no. getting there. But I like okay. So you know, it's like totally second kid problems with Carter. I literally checked like those baby apps like every day to see like what size he was and like oh yeah. And now I'm like oh how many weeks am I? And I pulled up the thing. I was like I wonder what size it is. And, um, and it was like, your baby's as big as a coconut. I was like, whoa, I was like 18 weeks left to go. And I was like, it was like the one of those moments of panic. I was like, oh, 18 weeks. Like, that's not a lot of time. Like that's wait. I mean, I knew we were past the halfway point. Cause I knew we already had our anatomy scan, but life just goes by so much faster when you've got a toddler running around. Well, yeah. Cause you can't just stop and sit and chill and take naps and everything. Cause your toddler still expects you to run amok and play and be fun mommy. And I mean, that's the biggest difference between changing from one to two. And the other thing I've noticed about you in this entire time is that like, you still have not stopped. You have not only maintained being an entrepreneur, but you have grown your business so much. And one of my favorite things, and actually this, when I first texted you about being on the podcast, um, is that you've truly become a mentor for other people. You're not somebody who's like, give me all the clients. I'm going to hold on to all my secrets. You are really building a mentorship program, a circle of photographers, you're supporting other women that are going off on their own. I mean, at what point did you decide that, okay, I'm not just doing weddings and having my own business, but I want to help other people do this too. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. So that's kind of been like my newest endeavor is getting more into like the education realm of my business. And I think it really started with, um, just getting into wedding photography and if it photography is one of those things that you will hear people say is such a saturated market. And I don't believe that for a second because I believe that there is a market of one because there's only one Naomi and only one Naomi can provide a Naomi experience to the couples that she serves. And so I realized the way that I was doing things in my business was very different because I had people asking me like, Hey, how are you doing this? Or, Hey, how are you always like booking people? Or, Hey, like, how come all of your brides seem so awesome? Are they really that awesome? And I'm like, yes, they really are. Like, let me teach you. And when I got started in wedding photography, it was really hard because there's a mentality of, there's a scarcity mentality among photographers that there are not enough clients to go around and that these new photographers are going to steal my clients. And I don't, I don't believe that for a second. I believe that there are enough people on this planet getting married, having babies, um, you know, needing one-year-old pictures, needing, you know, family pictures, whatever to go around. Like, if you think about just the people that you personally know, every, all of those people have the potential to need a photographer. So 
I found it very hard to get into wedding photography because people didn't want to let you come with them because they didn't want you to come undercut them and steal their clients, so to speak. And so whenever I like, that was kind of just my journey. I was like, well, I'm going to forge my own way. And then I'm going to teach other people how to do it. Um, because I've always liked helping other people. And I've always, I've always really liked encouraging people. And I've always been a hype woman. Like that's just part of my personality. It's who I am. And so when I realized that could be part of my business, I was like, wow, this is just like one of my God given strengths that I do without even like having to try. And I can help other people do the same thing. And so I started, um, I made a Facebook group and I called it wedding photography with Naomi and I got on, I started showing up and I started teaching people how I did things. I am not perfect. I am not the best photographer in the whole entire world. Um, I don't have everything figured out, but I was willing to, to share my journey with people, to teach people what I had done wrong, what I had done correctly and what they like, you know, easier ways to do things. Um, and so I basically like spill all my secrets because I believe that everybody else can be successful. And I feel like that is, that is also what has just helped set me apart just in business in general, because I, um, it's, it's not about what I get from people. I, I really try to focus on giving to other people and really helping other people. Um, and I joined a mastermind in 2019. So I was, you know, six months into being a new mom in the middle of postpartum depression. And I told my husband, I was like, Hey, I think I want to sign up for this thing. And it was a very, very big investment. It was a year long commitment with like 10 other photographers where we had different retreats that we would go to, um, during the year and different ways to grow our business. And, um, in that, in that season of life, I would, I, I was good at that. I was good at being a wedding photographer. I was good at an encouraging other people. And that gave me life where I was still struggling on the mom front where like, that was not like I was, I was struggling with it. I was not having it come naturally. Like I was having to really, really work at being a mom. And so you know, of course, you know, this is also the time that I left my, you know, very well paying day job to become a full time photographer. And so it was one of those things when I told him at first about how much it was going to be, he was like, uh, yeah, that's not gonna happen. And I was like, look, this is how I'm going to pay for this. And so I joined that mastermind. And that's where I really met a lot of these other photographers that do more with their business than just work with their clients. Um, and kind of learning like how to get into helping other people in your industry. And that has just been game changing for me because it allows me to continue to love and serve people without having to book up more weekends on my calendar. And that's the thing is like wedding photographers work on the weekends. And now that I'm having kids, like that's something that's very precious to me because Corey works during the week. So the family time we have is on nights and weekends. And so I really want to be able to protect that. And I, I love weddings. I'm continuing to do weddings. I'm just limiting the number that I'm doing so that I can be a little bit work towards a better balance um, of that. And so after I joined the mastermind and um, had a mentor kind of teaching us how she had done things, I started my Facebook group and I started showing up and started teaching people. And I guess people relate to the fact that I like have hot chocolate on my shirt half the time or like, you know, food on my face because like I like in photography world, it's very easy to make everything look like it's picture perfect, especially on Instagram. Um, and I actually call like there's, there's this thing I call wedding photography land because everything looks like beautiful bridal shoes and beautiful bouquets and beautiful couples and everything looks perfect, but times a hundred because it's all about wedding day, which is like the epitome of like of the perfect day. And so it's very easy to get sucked into that. Like, um, like look how perfect my life is. And so in this group, I'm very much Naomi. I'm very candid. I'm very open. Um, I tell them about things that happen on wedding days that probably other people wouldn't because they would be embarrassed about it. And so it's just been really cool to watch these photographers believe in themselves enough to go be a, a wedding photographer because they also live in areas where wedding photographers don't want to have someone come shadow them because they are afraid they're going to take their clients and things like that. And so, um, I basically am giving them the head knowledge and the confidence to go do what they want to do because they can't like go be an understudy or go do like that kind of like second shooting. That may, That's kind of like a wedding photography thing that some people may not really understand, but that's really how people will try to get into wedding photography. And so when these 
these women are like, I've tried, I've reached out to three different photographers, nobody will let me. That's where I was like, you know what? I'm gonna create a course that teaches everybody how to be a wedding photographer so that they can take this course go be their own wedding photographer. They don't have to worry about that. Um, because I did my first wedding without having second shot. I don't know if you remember, um, Jamie Sharp. She's now Jamie James. Um, she is, I am so grateful for that girl because this was in the time when uh, my sister-in-law, I was doing pictures for her and, and her friend Jamie kept asking who, who does, who did your pictures? Like, and she said, I want you to do my wedding. And I said, no, Jamie, like, I don't do weddings. Like weddings are hard. Like I don't, I don't do weddings. And, um, she, she talked me into it. And so that was the first taste I got of weddings and I just never looked back. So, um, so she's actually my neighbor. <laughs> she really? <laughs> yeah. So yes, I am very familiar with her. <laughs> County. Yep. <laughs> of course. Again, back to where we grew up. Of course I know her. Yeah. I just love, I mean, even from afar, I mean, you've definitely shot, you've done pictures for me before, just like family pictures. You and I've ended up at a lot of the same birthday parties because obviously your nieces and nephews are um, friends with my kids as well. So, I mean, watching you grow, I think for me, obviously your photography is wonderful, but the, uh, how genuine you are with other people and how willing you are to help other people. Again, just for me following you on social media, I've never seen another photographer do what you do with other people. And you've, I feel like you've grown your brand so much further beyond just being a great wedding photographer, but just being a great photographer in the community, because now it looks like you've got friends around the country, yeah. you know, people all over the place. Like you are really building a network. And I mean, I don't care what line of work you're in networking and who, you know, is what it's all about right. and your reputation. So, I mean, I'm just so impressed with you on how you've chosen to, be the cheerleader that you are for other people. And you are that way. Even when you're the photographer, you make people feel comfortable. You tell them how to pose. You give them confidence. I think one of my favorites is, remember when we did the fake what, bridal shoot? <laughs> yes. Oh and I, again, your sister-in-law called me and said, will you be the bride for this bridal shoot? I need you to wear these dresses. Have Brian be the groom. We'll put him in these tuxes. And it was about 10 years after Brian and I had met. And I mean, it was just like totally like staged photo shoot of, of our wedding day. But like, I actually she got emotional, like fake first dancing with Brian again. And I mean, you were right there and you made us feel comfortable through the entire thing. And you make people feel pretty. You make them feel calm because most people aren't that comfortable in front of a camera. And why would they be? They typically aren't in fancy clothes or posing like this. I mean, you have just become such a wonderful person. And I'm so happy that you agreed to do the podcast because I think it's so interesting for people to hear your story. And again, my whole pillars of what why I started this podcast was to be the village of moms supporting moms, whether that's getting through postpartum, whether that's getting through postpartum depression, breastfeeding, dealing with kids craziness, or simply supporting women in their full-time working careers. And that's why I asked you on here because you're doing it and you're wonderful. Oh, well, thank you. Well, yeah. And that's, I appreciate that so much. And it's so funny because I, it's, it's funny because I like, you're not that much older than me, but because you were like friends with my brother, it's like, oh yeah, like the, the cool older kids and like, oh, my sister-in-law and her friends, like we're hanging out with the cool older kids. Um, but it's so funny, <laughs> like, like m motherhood and like parenting is like the equalizer. Like it doesn't matter like what age you are, like the, the struggles you can go through or, or can be very similar or what, you know, as a working mom, um, it just, the challenges are, are the same. And, it's so funny because the people that I followed on Instagram, like the photographers I was looked up to and the people who had built um, their business, kind of like what I'm trying to do now, they all did it and became these super successful people before they had kids. And so I like sit there and, and my, my friend, um, my friend, I have a business bestie. Her name is Brittany. Um, she's my friend from down in Louisiana. And um, we talk every day to have like a morning huddle with ourselves um, so that because we work, you know, by ourselves, it gives us like some accountability. And um, we talk about like, man, what could we have done with our businesses before we had, you know, kids. And we're so grateful for our kids. We love our kids. But that's where like I get like my soul gets lit on fire because I want to show people that you you can, I want to show women that you can build a business and build your family at the same time. Like it doesn't have to be like, you pause one and or pause the other. Like it is not easy. It is not glamorous, but I want to show you that it can be done. 
And that is actually where you and I fall in line with each other because that's exactly what I try to show people too, is that you can do anything you put your mind to. You can be a mom. You can be your own boss. You can be an entrepreneur. You can be a manager. You can have more kids. Um, And you just have to figure out where the balance is in between. And Naomi, I am so excited for you and I am so excited for your new little one and continue lifting up everyone else because I know it will always come back to you and so many more rewards. So thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. I appreciate it.